0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Understand, we don't earn God's salvation. That's a gift. But what we do after we're saved makes an eternal difference in the kind of eternity we experience. And you know, that's the great irony, folks. As brief as this life is, the choices we make in this life impact our eternity forever.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffress. If you knew you were relocating to a foreign country, you'd probably try to learn everything you could about that place before you go. Yet most Christians know very little about their eternal home. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress answers the question, what difference does a future heaven make in my life today? Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to
0: Pathway to Victory. Perhaps you've heard that we just started our next teaching series. Today and throughout the month of September, we're talking about a place called heaven. So let me begin with an honest question. What's the big deal about heaven? Does your eternal destination really make any difference in the here and now? Well, I've just completed a brand new gift book that's hot off the presses, and it's called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. Look, when we're grieving the loss of a loved one or when we're struggling with illness, it truly helps to remember that God is preparing a place for us in heaven. This book is for you, and it's also for the friend in your life who is dealing with loss as well. And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, you're invited to request a padded hardcover copy. Plus, when you request my book today, I'll also include the popular brochure called What Seven World Religions Teach About Heaven. This tool is designed to show you what the Bible teaches about your heavenly home and how it compares with other major religions like Judaism, Islam, and Buddhism. Again, the brochure is titled, What Seven World Religions Teach About Heaven. I'll say more about the brochure and book later, but right now it's time to turn our attention to John chapter 14. I've titled this first message in our new series with a question, what difference does a future heaven make in my life today? Did you know the Bible tells us that every one of us one day is going to make a trip to a place that is mainly unfamiliar to us. And this destination is not just a one-week stay, it is going to be an eternal destination for every one of us. For those of us who are Christians, that trip is to a place called heaven. And contrary to what some people believe, heaven is not just some fanciful creation of somebody to help dull the pain of the reality of this world. The Bible says heaven is a real place. Now, the question is, why should we talk about heaven? Why should we spend 10 weeks studying about heaven? Well, one reason is our departure for heaven is both certain and relatively soon. Why should we spend time thinking about heaven? Because as we're going to see in the weeks ahead, the choices we make in this life Drastically impact the next life God has prepared for us. Here's the great irony. The more we think about the next life, the more effective we become for God in this life. Well, of course, the fact is for all of us here today, God has left us in this world, at least for now. So here's the question. Since we are here and we're not there, why should we be thinking about there while we're still here? over these next 10 weeks, we're going to answer 10 of the most often asked questions about heaven. But in the few minutes we have left today, I want to answer the most foundational question. And that is, what difference does a future heaven make in my life today? And on your outlines, I want you to jot down four benefits of being heavenly minded, of focusing on that place called heaven. First of all, focusing on heaven reminds us of the brevity of our earthly life. James said it this way about the brevity of life. James four fourteen. he said, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor. That Greek word atmos means a mist. You are just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. As one preacher in the deep South said, Life is like grass. It is sown. It is grown. It is mown. It is blown. And then it's gone. (laughs) That's what life is. It's over just like that. Focusing on heaven reminds us of the brevity of our earthly life. Secondly, focusing on heaven prepares us for the certainty of judgment. The popular song, everybody is going to heaven, couldn't be more wrong. Everybody is not going to heaven. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. But the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Will you notice three observations about these two verses? Number one, there is a way that leads to eternal death. There is a way that leads to eternal death. Most people are on that way, that road. There is a more narrow way that leads to eternal life. But notice thirdly, there are gates that open to both eternal death and eternal life every one of us in this room, every one of us watching this program, one day will be judged by God. Now, the difference is there is one gate, one judgment for non-Christians, and there's another judgment gate for Christians. The gate that is the judgment that leads to hell is the judgment we often refer to as the great white throne judgment. It's described in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15. We'll talk about this judgment more in the coming weeks, but look at it with me briefly. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds." Verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Non-Christians are going to be judged by their works. You say, well, I didn't think God judged people by works. Oh yeah, he judges non-Christians by their works because they have decided they wanted to be judged by their works. They've said, I don't need God's forgiveness in my life. I don't need grace. I'll try to make it on my own. So God says, fine, let's open the books and see how well you've done. It doesn't matter how good any of us is, we're not good enough to get into heaven. And every person will understand that at that judgment. That's the great white throne judgment. But there's another judgment that we as Christians face before we enter into everlasting blessing. And it is what we call the judgment seat of Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 10 to Christians. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one of us may be recompensed, rewarded for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad, phallus, literally worthless. We're going to face that judgment as well. Heaven's not going to be the same for everybody. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. There are levels of heaven, different experiences in heaven based on what we do in this life, whether or not we live obedient lives. Understand, we don't earn God's salvation. That's a gift. But what we do after we're saved makes an eternal difference in the kind of eternity we experience. And you know, that's the great irony, folks. As brief as this life is, The choices we make in this life, the choices we make now, impact our eternity forever. Do you remember the movie from a few years ago, Gladiator with Russell Crowe? Remember in the movie, the fictitious Roman general turned gladiator named Maximus told his men, What we do in life echoes in eternity. That's why it's so important that we, the few years we have, live obedient lives for God. Focusing on heaven reminds us of the judgment we must all face. Number three, focusing on heaven motivates us to live pure lives. It motivates us to live pure lives. Friday, I had to run down to Houston to preach at a Bible conference. And also while I was down there late in the afternoon, I had to tape a national television interview. So all day, I was concerned. My number one concern was, how was I going to keep my suit, my tie, and my shirt clean throughout the day until I did that interview? The reason I was concerned about it is, I know how unforgiving the bright lights and the HD television camera lens are. They pick up on the tiniest piece of fuzz or dirt, anything at all, millions of people would see. So I wanted to keep my clothes clean. You know, I thought that's a good example of why we want to keep our lives clean. Did you know the Bible says one day our lives, which the Bible compares to spiritual clothes, one day our lives are going to come under the harsh glare of God's judgment? And he and everybody else is going to see our lives for what they really are. 1 Corinthians 3:13 says. On that day, talking about the judgment for Christians, each man's work will become evident for the day. The light of God's judgment will show it. As I said, the Bible often uses clothing as a metaphor for our spiritual lives. And this is so key to understanding this principle. In the biblical times, when the Bible was written, People wore two types of clothing. There were two tunics that every person would wear. There was, first of all, the inner tunic. These were like, I guess, undergarments today. It was pretty standard fare. Everybody wore the same kind of inner tunic. That's what people didn't see. But then there was the outer tunic. That's what was visible for everybody to see, the inner tunic and the outer tunic. In the same way, the Bible says as Christians, we wear two tunics. There is the inner tunic. The inner tunic represents our judicial righteousness. What is judicial righteousness? It is our right standing before God. That's our inner tunic, our right standing before God. And we receive, as Christians, our inner tunic the moment we trust in Jesus as our Savior. The moment we say, God, I can't save myself. I need your forgiveness. God clothes our lives in his righteousness so that when God looks at you and me, he sees us as totally, completely forgiven. Our sin has been covered. It's not something we earn from God. It's something we receive as a gift. In Philippians 3.9, Paul said, may I be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Paul said, my clothing's not good enough to get into heaven. It's full of holes and it's moldy. There's no way God's going to let me in based on my works, my life. I want to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The moment you trust in Christ as your Savior, you receive that judicial righteousness. You are declared at that moment forgiven. Your sins are forgotten forever. That's the inner garment. But nobody wants to be running around heaven in his undergarments, does he? you want something else on your life as well. That's the outer garment. The outer garment represents our ethical righteousness. Ethical righteousness. That means our right acting before God. Judicial righteousness is our right standing before God. We are declared not guilty the moment we trust in Christ. Ethical righteousness is how we act after we're saved our obedience to God. It is our right acting before God. And the Bible says before we are reunited with Christ, we want to make sure that we're not just walking around in our undergarments, but that we have the finest outer garments on possible. He's talking about our behavior, our obedience to God. Did you know the Bible says one day when Christ returns and we see him We're going to join him for a great celebration on earth called the marriage supper of the lamb. And it's so important that we be clothed spiritually in the right outer garments. In Revelation 19 verse eight, John said, and it was given to her, that's the church, you and me to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Think about when you go to a fancy dinner, maybe perhaps a rehearsal dinner or a wedding celebration, you wouldn't go, ladies, in a halter top. Guys, you wouldn't dress in your cutoffs or Bermuda shorts. Hopefully you would wear the finest clothing that you had for a formal celebration. It's the same way when we are reunited with Christ. We want to be wearing those good works, that obedient life befitting the church. And by the way, once we put on those clean garments, we want to keep them clean, just like I did my suit on Friday. We don't want our lives to become stained by sin and disobedience. Let's face it. It's hard to keep our lives clean in a polluted world like this one, isn't it? What the Bible is saying is one of the best motivations for keeping your life clean before God is focusing on heaven and that future reunion with Christ. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. He's talking about the end times. But then in verse 11, he draws the application. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct? and godliness. Realizing everything we see around us is wrapping up to a conclusion. Realizing Christ is coming back again. What better motivation is there to live clean lives in holy conduct and godliness? Focusing on heaven is a great motivation to live pure lives. Number four, focusing on heaven places suffering in perspective. Focusing on heaven places suffering in perspective. One of the questions I keep being asked as pastor is, why did God allow and then fill in the blank? Many times it's some great national tragedy like 9-11 or a terrorist attack of some other variety. Why did God allow this if God is sovereign? Many times when people say, why does God allow evil in the world? They're really talking about, why does God allow suffering in my life? Why did God allow me to be fired unfairly from this job? Why does he allow me to suffer through a broken relationship? Why does he allow me to suffer the loss of a loved one? Why does God allow suffering, especially for those who are his people? You know, interestingly, the Bible never answers the why question of suffering. Never does. But it does help us put suffering in perspective. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, Paul, who certainly had his share of suffering, wrote, For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I want you to notice the two words here Paul uses to describe the suffering of his own life. First of all, he said his suffering is momentary. You think, Paul, how could you say that? For years, you suffered every kind of tragedy known to man. How could you say it was just momentary? Well, circle the word momentary and draw a line to the word eternal. He said, my suffering is momentary compared to the eternity of blessing God has planned for me. And the same is true for you. You may feel like you're in a situation that will not end. You think this is going on and on and on and on. God, why don't you stop this? Why don't you bring some resolve to it? God understands what you're going through. He knows exactly where you are. He's saying, remember this, whatever it is you're going through is momentary compared to eternity and the blessings I have planned for you for ages and ages to come. You know, we can't get our heads around eternity, can we? We have no idea how long eternity is. One writer said it this way, imagine a little bird that comes once every million years to sharpen its beak on the top of Mount Everest. Comes once every million years, does its thing, flies away, comes back a million years from then, does the same thing again, By the time that bird has worn down the entirety of Mount Everest, by the time it's accomplished that, eternity will have only begun. What you're going through is real right now. The suffering you're experiencing may seem like it's endless, but it really is momentary when compared to eternity. And then notice he also described his suffering as light, light. How could you say that, Paul? Have you developed spiritual amnesia? I mean, think about it. You were shipwrecked. You were left for dead. You were beaten five times within the inch of your life. You would ultimately be beheaded. How could you say your suffering is light? Well, again, as compared to what? As compared to what? Draw a circle around that word light and then draw an arrow to the word weight of glory. He said, my suffering is real, but it's really relatively light when I think about all that God has planned for me, the weight of his future blessing. You see, weight is a matter of perspective. I mean, if I showed you a 2,000-pound block of concrete and asked you, is this light or heavy, the answer is compared to what? I mean, compared to a feather, a 2,000-pound block of concrete is very, very heavy, Compared to the weight of a 150-story skyscraper, that concrete block is very, very light. And again, it's the same with the suffering you and I are experiencing right now. Whatever problem you're facing is real. It's heavy to you. But what Paul is saying is compared to the weight of the blessing God has planned for you for all eternity, it's light. One person said it this way. When compared to the glories of heaven, the worst suffering of this world will one day be seen to be nothing more than a one-night stay in an inconvenient motel. That's what Paul is saying to us. Focusing on heaven doesn't eliminate suffering, but it does put that suffering in perspective. Although God's promise for heaven is yet still future, it really should impact the way we live every day. For what we do in this life echoes in the halls of heaven forever. We're off to a great start in this important series called A Place Called Heaven. And just before I turn things back over to David, I'm eager to remind you that I've written an exclusive gift book that's designed to lift your spirits and help you focus on the glory of your eternal home. It's called Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. Without question, the year behind us was one of the most confusing and chaotic in recent history. The turbulence on Wall Street, The civil unrest in major cities has made 2022 so far a challenging year for all of us. Well, I'm convinced that when you read what the Bible says about your forever home, it will radically transform the way you view any challenge that comes your way. As we face the realities of our broken world, we often reach out for something to hold on to. And the greatest hope we have is the promise of heaven. Ask for a copy of Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. It's yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. I want to take this opportunity to remind you about our Pathway to Victory Bible Prophecy Tour of Israel. It's April 25th through May 5th, but right now, if you register for the trip, you can take advantage of the early bird registration discount. It's only available until September 30th. To find out more about this tour, go to ptv.org. You can look at the itinerary and, most importantly, reserve your place. We'll hope to see you in Israel this coming spring. As we conclude today, let me express my profound thanks for your continued financial support. Because of your generosity and because of our growing team of Pathway partners who give consistently every month, we're reaching more people than ever before. Thanks so much for your generosity.
1: David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you support the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, you're invited to request a copy of the brand new gift book from Dr. Jeffress, Encouragement from a Place Called Heaven. And as an added bonus, you'll also receive the brochure about what seven world religions teach about heaven. Ask for your copy today when you call 866-999-2965 or visit online, that's at ptv.org. Now when your gift is $75 or more, you'll also receive both the CD and DVD teaching sets for A Place Called Heaven. Plus, we'll also include a copy of the original best-selling book by Dr. Jeffers, A Place Called Heaven. Request the complete package of Heaven Resources when you call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You know, a lot of folks prefer to write, here's that address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Join us again next time when Dr. Jeffress answers the question, Is heaven a real place or simply a state of mind? That's Thursday, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.